Edge computing refers to computation involving drones, connected cars, smart factories, or IoT sensors. Any software deployment that is not a large centralized server installation could qualify as an Edge device, even a smartphone. Today, much of our heavy computation takes place in the cloud, which is a set of remote data centers some distance away from our client devices. For many use cases, this works just fine, but there are a number of cases where lower latency and higher bandwidth requirements are occurring at the edge. A simple example is video. Let's say you want to record a video stream and you want to detect people in that video stream in real time. Based on who you detect in that video stream, maybe you want to do different things. Maybe you want to identify that person and send them a text message to let them know that they're being recorded on video. Or maybe you want to report to the police that a dangerous person has entered the premises. This video stream could be captured by a drone or by a smart car or by a video camera mounted somewhere. So where is the video stream getting stored? Where is the machine learning model running? How do you deploy new machine learning models to the operating system with the machine learning model? How could you cross-reference this video stream with other video streams? This is a really simple example, but there are so many open questions as to how to solve such a problem. And since we're at the edge, we have increased constraints on the resources that we have accessible to us. So there's a need for new hardware and new software to power these edge applications. This led to the creation of LF Edge, which is a new open source group under the Linux Foundation. The goal of Linux Foundation's LF Edge group is to build an open source framework for the edge. Arpit Joshipura is the general manager of networking, orchestration, edge computing, and IoT with the Linux Foundation. He joins the show to describe the state of edge computation and the mission of LF Edge. This episode was exciting for several reasons. After seeing the rise of Kubernetes for container orchestration, we know that a popular open source technology, which solves a widespread problem, can have dramatic influence on the software world. And when multiple large companies get involved in that open source project, it can gain traction quite quickly. Edge computing has a large set of unanswered questions. But telecom providers like AT&T and large infrastructure companies like Dell EMC are getting heavily involved with the Linux Foundation Edge group. This represents a significant expansion of the open source model. And it also suggests that further investment into open source projects will occur in the near future. This was an interesting episode, and it connects nicely with tomorrow's episode about AWS's Internet of Things platform. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Arpit, welcome to the show. I want to talk to you about edge computing. Edge computing has existed for more than a decade. We've had smartphones, we've had factories with computers installed. You could classify these computers as edge computers. But something has changed in the last few years that has brought more attention to edge computing and IoT. What are the things that have changed in the last few years? Thank you very much and excited to be here. Let me hit on five technologies that are converging. 
that has made edge computing great again or you know cool again I should say and they are in no particular order but the first one being the you know maturing or at least coming of a technology telecom technology called 5G that brings a set of very low latency uh, support closer to the applications as possible and we're talking 5 to 20 milliseconds of latency here so really really fast and th these these latencies are needed for newer apps like autonomous cars or you know factories that need quick turnaround on analytics etc so that's the first technology the second technology that has matured is the microservices kubernetes container type app development framework for, for engineers, where you can quickly write the apps, make them portable, identify containers that, that can store it, and move it close to the actual asset, you know, whether it's an IoT a device, a microcontroller, or a gateway. The third one is really the maturing of uh, AI and uh, machine learning algorithms, frameworks, and basically tools that allow predictive maintenance to happen very close to the device and the application. So that's number three. The fourth is obviously the uh, maturity of uh, very custom hardware. So it's, you know, CPU, GPU, TPU, NPU, you know, you name it, in all shapes, forms, and sizes that end cost that can actually, you know, cut across the technology spectrum. And then the fifth missing element that has matured in the last two years is what I called on-demand NFE, which is the automation of a telecom network, right? Today, everything on the edge was really around silos. You know, there's an enterprise offering of an edge or, an, or, a, or a cloud offering of an edge. And, and now telecom has come in and, and kind of solved this edge cloud problem where you're bringing compute and storage very close to the edge application. So these five technologies, as I call convergence of these five technologies, is really, really driving a whole new set of edge applications and, and IoT devices that, that have really renewed the interest of pretty much all verticals. You're discussing these trends in edge computing. What are the applications? What are the use cases? What are the concrete examples that we have seen of edge computing contemporarily? So typically, I always classify in, uh, applications into sort of the latency sensitive and non-latency sensitive. So for example, if there is a sensor or, or, or a device or, or sort of a robot sitting in a factory that is dumping analytics data you know, once a month into a public cloud hundreds of kilometers away, while it may be an IoT asset, it's not an edge application, right? So what we are saying is the applications that are in the 5 to 20 millisecond latency zone in terms of response time. And they form, obviously they are they are falling into four broad ca categories that we are tracking. So obviously IoT and analytics, whether it's industrial sensors, home devices, retail and commerce or healthcare, whether it's immersive experiences. So virtual reality, augmented reality, 360 video is very hot, right? Uh, variable assistance whether it's autonomous devices, so things like drones, vehicles, robots, etc., or straight telecom edge infrastructure applications, right? So wireless infrastructure like virtual RAN, you know, passive optical networks, or SD-WAN, or enterprise services, right? So there's a whole 
new set of applications that emerge because compute and storage is brought close to you. So these are some examples. My favorite example application that I saw when I was preparing for this episode is video. It's very simple. Video. It, video is so high bandwidth. It's such a simple, you know, one word application, but you think about it like we need video on the oil rig. We have our smartphones that need video. The connected cars need video. The drones need video. And what is video but this gigantic high bandwidth data stream that is training data for machine learning, it's potential things that can be run through machine learning classifiers. Uh, you know, we, we there's compression that needs to be run on it. There's all this pre-processing that we can run between the edge and the cloud. I really feel like video is is just the perfect prototypical application category that we can use to say, this alone describes why we need new infrastructure at the edge. So you're very right. I would augment it with uh, the following, which is, uh, we had a couple of analysts do a survey and research on what are the killer apps for Edge, okay? And yes, while we have a standard graph that says, you know, video content delivery is the top of the pyramid, and you're absolutely right. There are things like autonomous vehicles, AR, VR, IIoT, gaming, surveillance, supply chain, smart cities, etc. They're, they're all on the list. But if I was to sort of summarize the killer apps, they form in, they fall in two buckets. It's non-traditional video, so it's not like the YouTubes of the world per se, but anything non-traditional. So video coming from a 360, video coming from a drone, etc. And it's connected things that move, but not a phone, right? So things like uh, autonomous vehicles or, or, or drones with inspecting, you know, base stations and electrical grids. Um, you know, factories that that need to connect in a very close and, and do predictive maintenance. So the two big buckets, non-traditional video and connected things that move. <laughs> what are the challenges of these domains on a technical level? What kinds of new infrastructure do we actually need to build? And why are the present day operating systems and devices and uh, application tooling, why are they insufficient? All right. So I, I, to answer that question, I have to start off by sort of going back to defining the edge. So one of the things that LF Edge as, a, as an umbrella project under the Linux Foundation is striving to do is create a glossary of terms and, and define the scope of, uh, you know, what, what an edge is. And it, it's anything from a software perspective that starts above the hardware layer, irrespective of the connectivity. So, you know, ZigBee, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, you know, it doesn't matter. And then stops at the edge data center, which is, uh, you know, in a telecom kind of a network. Anything that goes in a regional or a centralized data center is not considered as edge. So assuming that we define the scope correctly of what an edge is, because that's where you are going to get that responsiveness of five to 20 milliseconds of latency. The three big problems, uh, you know, that, that, the, that the community is solving right now 
is the following. So there's one of them is a non-technical problem, right? That we we have hopefully, you know, a path to solve it. And that non-technical problem is the edge community and the development in an open source way is very fragmented, right? Lots of people are building lots of little things for lots of different verticals that's that don't work with each other, right? So Hopefully that problem is solved by taking LF Edge as an umbrella organization where you can have these communities across cloud, across uh, telecom, and across enterprise and IoT all collaborate and build out common plumbing and common APIs uh, to make it happen, right? So that's that's the first non-technical problem. The second technical issue is the lifecycle management of an app or an end device, whether it's an IoT device or an application, software application that is classified as an edge application. And the lifecycle management means how do I you know, install it, load it, boot it, restart it, logs, log it. How do I store persistent data on it? How do I write down APIs uh, that can connect to clouds and multi-cloud? How do I get to making sure it's it's the size of the load is correct so that it matches the hardware, but is hardware agnostic? So it's it's essentially the lifecycle management or what we call the plumbing of edge infrastructure, right? In a zero touch manner. And as you know, you know, clouds, you know, through Kubernetes, for example, orchestration is zero touch. Telecoms, they are pretty much getting to zero touch through projects like open networking automation platform or ONAP as we call it, right? Enterprises are getting to zero touch through software-defined data centers, but they're not quite yet because apps are kind of all, all over the place, right? And then the IoT landscape is, is not zero touch because, you know, you are either sitting in a, a public cloud ecosystem like an Amazon on Azure or Baidu, or you're sitting in a private cloud, or you're sitting in some version of a hybrid cloud, right? So, so that's the second big problem that we are solving, which is the plumbing or lifecycle management. And that's a technical problem in nature. How do you get zero-touch lifecycle uh, for edge applications and devices? And then the third one is for future apps that I believe are, you know, Hardware independent, OS independent, cloud independent, what are the set of APIs that can be exposed and standardized, right? Both on the southbound side of the drivers and and, and the physical interfaces, as well as the northbound side, which is really around the cloud and the multi-cloud infrastructure, right? And those three uh, technical, like two technical, one non-technical, is what LF Edge is intending to solve. In previous episodes, we've done a lot of coverage over the dynamic between the quote-unquote cloud and the edge. And this is a really interesting dynamic, you know, like what kinds of processing do you do in the cloud? What do you want to do on the edge? You know, what are you going to do about the fact that you want to have this high bandwidth connection between these two places, but maybe there's intermittent bandwidth at the edge, these kinds of things. But what I understood by reading about LF Edge, the, the Linux Foundation's edge computing set of projects, which, which we'll get into in some detail, but the importance of the telecoms and the fact that all of this processing uh, or all of this data shuttling is is going across telecom infrastructure. Can you explain the role of the telecoms when it comes to the dynamic of edge computing? That's a brilliant question, right? Because the moment we classify an edge application requiring storage and compute close to it, 
with a certain parameter of latency responsiveness, you do get into the physical barriers of how bits travel, right? And so at this point, what Telecom Edge or Edge Cloud or Smart Edge or whatever, there's just terminologies, right? But really what we're talking about is a set of automated compute storage and software infrastructure that is residing either at the bottom of the base stations or on a gateway in, in, in the basement of a building or, or a stadium or a little bit further out in a smart central office in a, in a neighborhood. What telecoms bring to the table are three things. They bring the location advantage, right? They bring the latency advantage, both because of location, but also because of technologies like 5G. And they bring the mobility advantage. And what that means is, if there is an application, connected cars and autonomous driving and fleet transportation being the perfect example, if the application requires low latency response with mobility, you do not, an enterprise or a cloud provider will not be able to solve that, right? So those are the three things why telecom is such a critical player in the edge compute space. And that's why we see a lot of collaboration between telecom players, cloud players, and enterprise IoT players. And that's that's the mission of LF Edge. And who, um, not to sound flippant, who cares about this? Like if I'm a developer, do I care? Like aren't I just like, either I'm a developer like building something for my factory, you know, my company uh, owns factories and I'm writing software for the factories or like I'm maybe I'm, I'm writing software that is doing processing on data that has made its way from the factory into the cloud. But in either way, I, I work for, you know, a candy factory company. Why do I care about telecom infrastructure or, or is this is are these open source projects, which which we will get into? Are these open source projects, are they only meant for the telecoms? No, no, they are not meant for telecoms. That's the whole point. The projects are bringing the telecoms, the cloud, and the enterprise verticals, the, their developers, and their use cases all together. Okay, so the three have to operate in harmony. The reason why a developer, an enterprise, a cloud player, or a telecom player should care, right, is what you described as a you know analytics sitting in a factory going into a cloud that's that's iot today that's not an edge that's not an edge app that's not something that you would traditionally categorize in the new world as as it's a vertical siloed of you doing analytics in a central cloud you're not getting responsiveness on services and you are solving the problem locally if the computers at the gateway level, right? So that means your decisions are local, your analytics are local, you're operating with limited set of information uh, that you're not aware, you know, whether, you know, another factory in a different neighborhood is down or they have similar problems or if it's a global uh, Fortune 500 with factories all over the place, right, you're not sharing anything. So what is happening is what you described was, you know, what we call IIoT 1.0 or, you know, today's way of thinking. What we have to get to is there is a layer of common APIs and common visibility and control that allows these assets to share information, right? If you're connecting, say, you know, take an example of smart cities, you're connecting uh, the visual identity of license plates through the traffic lights and then passing them on to, uh, uh, you know, an edge application to respond in real time. 
right? That's the intersection of an enterprise, a government, and a telecom cloud because you're going to go through through several networks. Right now, what's in it for a telecom? Well, they provide a service through an SLA and they can charge for it. What's in it for the enterprise? Well, they are actually making money on this service, right? What's in it for a developer? Well, their service gets more and more adopted, right? And, and it scales globally. So this is this is why I believe that you know the the interest on such an initiative is very high and you know you can always solve the problems in silos what we have seen over the last you know several years with the advent of open source is when communities come together and solve the problem you know everybody wins i am reminded of how i felt when i started covering the container orchestration space and this was this was like four years ago or three or four years ago before Kubernetes had kind of become the de facto container orchestrator that everybody was using. I didn't even realize there was a market for a <laughs> container orchestrator thing, like a one side, one container orchestrator to rule them all. Three and a half years later, it looks obvious. Like everybody's like, oh, of course I want this thing. You, you just answered your question. <laughs> so, well, let's go deeper there. So what's What's the analogy? Uh, I mean, you know, how how does this change? So, we, I, like, I you know, I can looking back now, I can see, oh wow, Kubernetes is really changing the equation for for these enterprises and giving them, you know, systematized cloud infrastructure, uh, distributed systems, you know, getting solved. Like, what gets solved when we take the edge computing world and put an open source spin on it? Okay, so I have to go a little bit deeper on this, right? So what tends to happen, and just like you compared the the cloud and the Kubernetes, and I think I mentioned this, right? So what was the problem that Kubernetes solved in the cloud? It solved the container orchestration and the portability, right? And, and effectively what that means is, you know, my apps don't have to worry about what is underlying. Same problem has now been solved in the telecom world through automation with projects like ONAP, right? And, and so now, how do I take the best of those two worlds and put it close to applications that rely on this infrastructure being like literally next to me, right? And when I do that, how can I automate it, right? So there is a layer of zero touch, zero automation. So the projects that we have are using, and specifically this is in the Acrino Edge stack, they are using portions of uh, Kubernetes, uh, Lite, and ONAP to create an automated zero-touch load that would go and fit into an Edge base station data center, if you may, that can actually serve these Edge applications. So effectively what is happening is we're taking the telecom and the and the uh, public cloud technologies and integrating them with automation in build both orchestration as well as automation and pushing it closer to the edge physically okay so think of this as an edge cloud it's it's really the culmination of of what you were looking at 3 years ago or telecom was looking at 2 years ago and bringing them together and pushing it out for future expansions right at the edge and how does this compare to the proprietary infrastructure that exists today? So, like, just to just to give you a, a, my perspective on, you know, I, so I've done shows on AWS IoT, Google's IoT stack, Azure's IoT stack, and they've got a bunch of different IoT offerings, and they're pretty sweet. You know, one common pattern I see is this this idea of a hub. So, like, in a factory, you can have this IoT hub 
thing, which is like a server that's a small device in the factory, and all of the devices in the factory talk to the hub, and then the hub is the only thing that talks to the cloud. So you have this this gateway that is the only infrastructure that's actually talking to the open internet. So it it puts a single um, focused point where you can have all the security, you know, centralized around that hub, and then you know talks to the cloud. And anyway, that's that's kind of my perspective for 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 the interaction between the cloud providers and uh, and the IoT installations. But can you can you contrast? that vision or tell me if that's your your if that concords with your vision for for the cloud providers and and how that would differ from an open source world correct so what you're describing is probably 40% of the current iot deployments and i would say i would not classify them as edge okay here's why these applications do not have a latency requirement so they are iot applications for sure they do go on a microcontroller with a gateway into an azure or a or a aws cloud where it's it's a single purpose single vertical hub based and you know i i've participated in the uh, in in all of their conferences right you see you know an ecosystem of about 100 150 member companies if you may that you know from all verticals right that would that would solve that specific problem the other 60% right that would benefit from a lower latency from a proximity to clouds to portability and things like that and more importantly you know let's take let's take the fortune 500 you have factories in us your factories in china your factories in europe you cannot have visibility across them you cannot share data the apis are different it's a vertical silo wouldn't it be nice if you have standardized that with a layer of of open source software that can plug into a multi-cloud environment right that's kind of one one big use case beyond the other 60% of the apps that that are low latency, right? So I just want to sort of emphasize IIoT is not the same as Edge, right? People confuse the two or or over... There is overlap, don't get me wrong. And the difference is latency? It is latency and it is the visibility and connectivity that you may need from the ecosystem around you, right? So, you know... If I'm operating in complete isolation in a factory floor with IoT support, that's fine. That's that's one of the applications. But what if I have to send that data and crunch it in real time? Okay, it's not like it's it's getting crunched in an Amazon data center hundreds of miles away. Crunching in real time because there are some issues, right? So take Home Edge, for example, right? Security issues pop up, right? Physical security or, you know, disaster issues come up or something. And, and you got to commute, uh, communicate back and, way and, uh, back and forth and process it in real time. Or you have on-prem factory where the different kinds of hardware, you know, virtualize differently, communicate on the back end with an edge device very close to their enterprise right it could be in a basement or something like that so you're right it's it's the proximity it's the latency it's the responsiveness and it's the portability of uh, the app across across cloud right so just like just like kubernetes and containers allowed app portability between sites and between different infrastructure this is taking it to the next level okay can you talk more about how so when we think about the container orchestrator world, before it sort of settled out into this really nice world that we live in today, where there's some, you know, it's there's still a lot of confusion. Like, 
you know, who do I buy my Kubernetes from? You know, what are the cloud providers doing? What are the vendors like Mesosphere or Cloud Foundry, Pivotal? What are they offering me? It's still confusing, but it's it's at least more optimistic than it was when it was like container orchestration wars and you had, you know, these competing standards between Mesos and Kubernetes and the other orchestrators. So how does that compare to where we are today? Like what's what's the environment and, and I don't know, where where do you think things are going? Okay, if you look at the way we have set up the project, specifically LFH, we always believed in, in the Linux Foundation that it's all about harmonizing the communities, right? And what that means is harmonizing other open source communities and harmonizing the standards and the consortiums that work in this area. So we would go out and formally, you know, legally set up a collaborations framework or, you know, unofficially do that if it's an open source community. So, for example, if you look at the LF Edge today with projects like Acreno and EdgeX Foundry and others, there are working groups in that project and they're working alongside Kubernetes as well as ONAP as two projects that one for cloud, one for telecom. And both of those open source projects, Kubernetes has an IoT working group that is working with Acreno. ONAP has an uh, Edge working group, so IoT and Edge, right? That both of these projects have developers that are collaborating with the LF Edge and and Acreno Edge stack to to make sure that as they create the load, you know, the right level of uh, distribution at the, uh, you know, do, do I need hardware awareness? Do I need to know how much memory is there and then I can optimize the load appropriately? Do I do I load the mo- load all of the modules from ONAP down at the access and edge layer, right? Like including closed loop control, data analytics, predictive analytics, all of that, or do I just load policies that will sort of first figure out that I have I don't have enough uh, compute cycles to crunch numbers here? Let me connect it back into a cloud and, and like the, and again I'm going too much into detail here, but these le- these types of collaborations are all formal and happening as we speak, okay? So that's the first set. So open source to open source collaboration with other open source uh, projects. The second collaboration that is happening, and and by the way, we are setting it up. We have learned the lessons, right, over the last years, right? Public wars on standards and open source options, while initially they are great because, you know, we're still learning, when it gets to a point where people now really want to make this happen, collaboration is the best way to do it, right? So what we have set up is we've set up a collaboration with, like, let's say if there's an edge standard. So in this case, it's Etsy Mac for telecom, okay? If there's a consortium, so for automotive, right? So now here's where we get into a vertical consortiums, right? So automotive, it's ACC. So ACC is, is a member for LF Edge as well. So this is, you know, Toyota is, is kind of sharing that. And, and essentially what it is, is it's how do I take advantage of the edge for automotive industry? There's an IIC consortium, right, who is a member of, of LF Edge, right? So how do I make sure that the devices and the drivers and everything that EdgeX Foundry does is aligned to IIC and you know including OpenFog now, uh, etc. So what we are saying is, in my view, the market and the industry needs to be harmonized in order to get more adoption. Because think about it this way: if you are an end user, a developer, a vendor, a supplier, or a user, you are like, where do I go, right? Do I go here? Do I go here? Do, like, what's the right, who's going to win? And this is more like, oh, 
it's they're all going to figure out in the open and so it's a safe safe choice and so now let me invest my resources to to solve solve things and and i'll tell you a little secret you know having been in open source for so long at the end of the day if you put engineers in a room from any vertical any competitors any companies they will figure out the right solution irrespective of you know, geography, irrespective of whether they work for the competition or not, they don't care about the business aspects. And that's what we are facilitating here, right? Which is developer to developer solving these hard issues, but providing a framework for collaboration. Let's give an example. AT&T contributed the Acrano Edge stack, and you've mentioned this a few times. What is Acrano? All right. So Acrano Edge stack is, is, is a software project which is bringing you know, three things to the table under LFH. So the first, there are two use cases that they are going after. There is a telecom only use case, meaning if you're an AT&T or an NTT or a Turk Telecom or whatever, right? If you're a telecom provider, how do I automatically extend my reach and my software stacks in an automated manner to provide edge services and all the edge use cases for all my 5G deployments and all my apps that are telecom centric, you know, VPC, uh, VNFs, things like that. So that's one use case. The second use case that they are solving is how do I work with an enterprise use case that will allow for deployment close to the enterprise, right? Maybe on the uh, as a managed service, so then it's an inside inside the demarcation point of the enterprise or outside the demarcation point, right? So that's the second use case, and then the third thing it's bringing from an edge stack perspective is a set of validated blueprints that cut across the entire edge and non-edge umbrellas, right? So, you know, if you're in a blueprint for just terminology's sake is a set of uh, validated reference solutions and implementations uh, beyond the architecture that has a specific hardware, software, and a stack attached to it. And these blueprints are aimed to satisfy the specific deployment scenarios and the use cases, right? So Acranoid Stack, the technical community has approved 19 blueprints right now. And these blueprints, and I'll give you an example. There, there's blueprints for a smart city that would probably start with a micro mech architecture based on, say, ARM or Intel. And then it, it, it can sit with a 5G or wireless connection on a light pole or a vehicle. And there's hardware, and then there's, a, there's an amount of software that sits on it. That could be a blueprint for micro CPE gear, which sits in a manufacturing floor that that is for universal CPE for IoT appliances, which is a very thin OS, very thin orchestration. There's a blueprint for 5G, right, which is the radio cloud, if you may. There's a blueprint for uh, Kubernetes uh, native industrial automation infrastructure, right, where you know you 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 basically are taking native container workloads using a subset of Kubernetes technology and then putting it on. Uh, a, a set of uh, equipment, you know, uh, that that is sitting on the factory floor, etc. So that's what Acrino Edge Stack is doing. These blueprints, you can access the details of this through lfedge.org under Acrino. Uh, there's a process. There's a technical detail. And so, what effectively happens is, if I'm a end user and I want to sort of say, hey. I have this use case, has open source solved this issue, they can go at it and download the code, get the support, and just be ready to deploy. 
So that's what a Cranoid stack is. This was contributed by AT&T. Portions of it was contributed, right? So some of the seed code, but a lot of the other seed code is being developed both in upstream as well as in the community itself right now on other use ah, cases. Right. So there's there's 60 members, right? And there's like 28 premium members that are all contributing code. And it, it, it's being developed right now as we speak. And, and is this being used by AT&T or is it like their vision for what they want? This is the code that they had developed for their own use that they contributed. And now it is going to get deployed as part of the uh, prep work for 5G, right? So they contributed it back with an intention of expanding the community. And then along with that, uh, there's another 18 blueprints that that are being created, right? So the the code they they contributed was specifically for, for probably two blueprints. Not not to get into an area that um, I worry is is either a buzzword or doesn't have enough to do with software, but can you explain to me what 5G means? Is that like a collection of things, or is there hardware, is it software? What does 5G actually mean? So 5G, if to a layman, is just going to be, hey, I had my phone, it says 4G, now it's going to say 5G, that means it'll be, I have to buy a new phone with a much faster I'll get more bandwidth much faster. That's 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 the average assumption. And that is not incorrect. That is fine. That but that only happens to be 10% of the use cases of 5G. 5G is an is is a although it is a radio technology, right? So it's over the air technology where you're getting effectively a tenth of the latency. You're getting 100 times the number of devices you can support in that. You are getting 100x the bandwidth, right? Uh, so it's a next generation of air technology or radio technology, right? Which just, it's bigger, better, um, much different. Now, while if we were on a linear curve where if you look at 2G, you know, it was for, 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 for straight texting. 3G was for like SMS and and a little bit of web 4G was for you know video and things like that. What 5G opens up is a set of machine-to-machine communications. It opens up all the entire IoT communications. It opens up a new set of applications that require uh, lo- low latency. And so the reason 5G is so important is not only as a radio technology, but when you do that, your entire data center, your cloud, your backend systems need to be automated, right? Because both orchestration-wise as well as lifecycle management-wise. Because if you look at it, you cannot have an operator sitting on a phone saying, I want, I want to give this sensor or this car a service. And then that car stays in service for you know a year. It's not like a phone registering on a network. It is really, you know, things come up, things come down, things are, you know, active for just milliseconds, not years. And it's, it needs, the back end and the glue needs to be fully automated. So that's why you're seeing, you know, 5G used as a proxy to upgrade the back end infrastructure of not just telecom, but even for enterprise networks, right? So if you look at inside the data center of an enterprise, uh, you got, you got right now hardwired connections that are fully, you know, single single pipes coming out into a carrier who's just a bit pipe. Well, with 5G, you can actually eliminate a lot of wiring. You can actually go from device to device and still, you know, hit the cost curves, hit the 
hit the automation and things like that. So it, it changes the mindset for for the enterprises as well. So that's in a nutshell what what I how how I see five G. So it's not just the technology; it's the implications of the technology that are the talk of the town. Well, what I have heard about the the CPU industry is that the TikTok term, where you have this. You know, you have all these different players involved in, in in the in the CPU days, or in the CPU market, and you have Intel, and then Intel says, okay, this is the plan for how CPUs are going to advance, and then it has all these implications for other players in the industry. But it really helps to come to this agreement on like, here's what we're going to do according to Moore's law, uh, and Intel kind of describes it to everybody, and then all the suppliers and everybody kind of falls in line. And then you have this TikTok kind of thing. Is 5G sort of like that, but the 3G, <laughs> yeah, 4G, be, 5G? Yeah, it could be a good analogy. The only thing I would add is the implications of 5G are way more than the migration from 1, 2, 3, 4G. Okay? 2, 3, and 4G were mostly linear evolutions. 4G was absolutely a step up. Right, because it was an all data network first. Right, it was not. It was not just voice and data, but five G is is a much more exponential change. Right, primarily because of the machine to machine and the uh, proximity to the edge that it can provide. Can you can you? Explain in more detail, why is 5G such a big upgrade? Yeah, so the, the reason, as I said, the reason it's a big upgrade is, okay, so think of it, like what did 4G enable as a market, right? Fine, we got better iPhones and we got, you know, better laptops and we got, you know, faster speeds and all that. The market that it enabled was mostly social media and, and videos and YouTubes and all that, right? At the end of the day, it's still linear thinking. You could do that with 3G, but it was still slower, Okay. 5G, you can do all that and you can do, but what had, what it enables even more because of the inherent specifications inside of, of latency and, and jitter and all the network characteristics is the machine to machine communications, right? And what that does is it gives a whole different meaning and a scale to connected devices, right? So here we're talking from you know, 3 billion phone connections or 4 billion phone connections to 20 billion connected devices, right? And now all of a sudden, the connected devices have each separate use cases in many, many verticals, right? So the fleet and transportation department may use it differently. The, 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 the homeland security and the traffic departments may use it differently. The industrial automation departments may use it differently, right? So it has profound implications in many, many verticals, as well as it has implications on, on infrastructure that needs to be redone because some of these data centers are sitting below a base station. Some of them are sitting in a neighborhood. Right? They're not all sitting in a massively scalable data center somewhere, you know, centralized location. Does it help? Definitely helps. And what's what's interesting to me about LF Edge and, and who is involved is, you know, so you have AT&T who is, I guess, you know, they, they contributed, as you said, parts of the Acrano Edge stack, but they are maybe the flagship contributor, or I don't know, a flagship contributor for what for part of one of the projects, right? Then you have EdgeX Foundry is the other project, which is uh, you know it was seed coded by Dell EMC, and then you have another project for the on-prem edge, which was which has been contributed by a startup called Zedeta. 
Then we have HomeEdge that has that contribution. Seed codes comes from Samsung, etc. So, so those are just seed codes. Seed codes just help you jumpstart portions of the project, and then the community builds on it. And today, if you look at our community, you know we launched with sixty founding members, which is like phenomenal given just a short time. Um, but it's a cross section of hardware vendors. So you got ARM, Qualcomm, Intel, all of them participating. Then you have the carriers, right? So AT&T, Entity, etc. Then you have the cloud, right? Baidu, Tencent, etc. Then you have the industrial players, right? Dynamic, OSI Soft, etc. And then you have the system vendors, suppliers, integrators, right? The usual, you know, Dell, HP, you know, Ericsson, Nokia, etc. So a whole bunch of players. Are all coming together and and that's the implication of of seed code but more importantly the community didn't facebook try to do something like this with their open compute project a while ago uh facebook has a small uh working group in the ocp so there's bodies of uh, organizations that are dedicated to hardware right and as i said lf edge is a software only project so everything that is done in hardware is complementary to us. So we will we work with so there is actually an OCP hardware that will be part of the blueprint that that is going to go into a Cranoid stack, right? So it's a complementary. Okay. Yeah. Right, okay, cool. So Facebook sort of I think remember if I remember correctly, they open we did a show about this a while ago, but they open sourced kind of their their server infrastructure, Correct. like the hardware Correct. infrastructure. Correct. And and but but again, where's the software coming from? That comes from exactly Linux Foundation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So what I was going to say is like you know AT and T, Dell, EMC. These are. I mean, I think these have they they have had some open source stuff going on for a while. But I imagine they've looked at the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. They've looked at the Linux Foundation. They've sort of seen where the tide is going over the last you know four or five years and. Maybe is is this is this them sort of signaling that that they are making a big push towards open source? Yes. In fact, not just them. You know, ARM, AT and T, Baidu, Dell, right. Ericsson, HP, Huawei, wow. IBM, Intel. You know, Juniper, Mobile Ajax, Nokia, Qualcomm, Red Hat. <laughs> Samsung. <laughs> there are there are people listening to this who who have less context on the significance of this. Like maybe they've only been in the software industry for three or four years, and they're like, "Yeah, open source, whatever." But you've been in the industry for a while. Explain why this is a big deal that all of these major enterprises are all of a sudden getting into open source. Very good question. I think we could have started with that, but that's okay. Leave it. Leave the best to the end. <laughs> but. Open source in the last 10 years has significantly changed the way uh, software is done, okay? And the primary driver for this is having control and options with full interoperability. So if you ask an end user, why would you go with open source? They're like, I don't want vendor lock-in. I want to change, make changes and customize based on my needs. And, you know, I want to sort of control my own destiny because I'm slightly different, right? That's the primary driver for open source. The second driver is it is a complex plumbing problem and not a single vendor can solve it. 
even if they put hundreds of millions of dollars of R&D. I mean, take, take the example of ONAP. You got 500 to 1,000 people working on it. Like our LF networking projects, right, open source projects, if we do a straight developer headcount to business value, it's over $500 million of R&D that has been created in the open. Now, imagine a single company uh, investing that much money on a non-differentiating set of software. It's not going to happen, right? So that is what has really picked up uh, in terms of um, uh, why open source is such a big deal. Uh, sec- and then, of course, there is a le- there is a cost equation here where if you're not investing and you're utilizing, so let's say I'm a Red Hat or I'm a I'm a IBM, I would put say ten designers on LF Edge, right? For example, and then but there are say two hundred people working on it. So now I have put in 10 people's worth and I'm getting, you know, 200 people's worth of work back to what I need. That's a straight ROI, right? Instead of putting 200 people. So this is the power of community. I mean, there's lots and lots of papers and, and, and research done on this, but the, but the key here is open source is here to stay. People have realized that the business models have changed. The industries are picking up and each vertical industry is on a different path, if you may. So cloud started off with open being like the first in mind. But then you have these 100-year-old industries, right? Telecom is a 142-year-old industry. And that has just moved to open source in just the last three years. Automotive grade Linux, which is another one of our open source projects. Automotive is in a hundred plus year industry. That just moved uh, to an open source in the last two years. Banks, you know, financial techs, they have started moving to blockchain technologies, which is now Hyperledger and part of open source. So you would see different timing, but in general, um, it's those values that 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 are brought by the uh, uh, by the by, the shared creation of intellectual property in a very seamless manner that is really proving itself. You know, the moment where I realized that open source was going to take over everything was actually in a conversation with my mom, who is had no knows nothing about computer science, but she manages some properties. She's like she owns some real estate and manages these properties, and she was telling me about a refrigerator that she had a problem with, and she's like. I want an open source refrigerator. And I'm like, "Mom, how do you even know what that would mean?" Like I, and and she's like, "Well, you know, I my refrigerator keeps breaking and the parts are like $500 for like some niche screw that you need in your refrigerator." And and then you need the person to come and install it correctly cuz the refrigerator is like highly integrated and it's just this thick piece of hardware. And I was like, "Mom, Thank you for making me realize that open source is going to eat the world, including <laughs> refrigerators. Can we sign her up for leading marketing here? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I know. You, you've got LF Edge. Now you need LF Fridge. <laughs> but the concept is absolutely correct. And if you put yourself and replace, replace refrigerator with a piece of hardware, piece of software, piece of application, piece of devices. That's exactly the notion, right? Which is, if I'm smart enough, I will repair it myself, but let, let's have interoperable parts. Let's not rely on just one particular plan. That's exactly open source, yes. Well, Arpit, we barely scratched the surface. I'm sure we will be doing more shows about edge projects. And it's really, really nice to get acquainted. I'm sure I'll see you at some conference or something 
And I look forward to to doing more shows and and uh, and covering the development of Open Source Edge. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, we are welcome to come over to Open Networking Summit that happens in in the Bay Area, April three to five uh, this year. And you know, that's where there's a whole track on LF or, or on an Edge technologies. So yeah, you know, it, just take a look at LF Edge. Where, where is that? It's in San Jose. Okay. Yeah, so you can go to Linux Foundation Events Open Networking Summit, and you should you know be able to get details and register there. Plus, look at lfedge.org, and there are wikis and 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 every documents is in there as well. Sounds great. Okay, Arpit, thanks for coming on the show. It's been really fun talking to you. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you for the questions. Wow.